Hello everyone and welcome to another Scotsway podcast. We're through in Leith at Barboda with um, broadcaster, journalist and writer, I hope you don't mind me calling you those things, Vic Galloway. I'm delighted you call me those things. <laughs> it's better than something else you could call me, well, a four-letter word. <laughs> oh, no, 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 we're very, very friendly. Thanks for inviting us through. Oh, no, thank you for coming through. I could easily have come and chatted to you in Glasgow, but I appreciate you coming to my neighbourhoods. Yeah, because I live just near here, and this is a bar I frequent. In fact, it's my local. And so now you know where to find them, folks. Yeah, yeah, to. well, you probably will. I've DJed in here, actually, um, many years ago. Well, three or four years ago with Steve Mason from the Beta Bands. Oh, um, fantastic. The, the lady that owns this bar and various others, a Swedish woman called Anna, uh, she heard that I was a reggae fan because she knew me from co- coming into her bars and chatting and, and so on. Uh, she said, "Would you be up for doing a reggae DJ set at some point?" And I was, I said, "Yeah, absolutely, I'd love to. Just reggae only." And I happened to be with Steve Mason having a pint at the time, and I just turned to him and said, "You've got millions of reggae records. You're a, he's possibly even more of an encyclopedia on reggae than I am. Yep. Would you be up for it?" He said, "Yes." So we did vinyl and CDs, and it lasted five and a half hours <laughs> so anyone that isn't a reggae fan that would probably be hell on earth to them and I know quite a few people who don't like it so but I was yeah it was, Socks with the men from the boys yeah. definitely it was a nice summer day as well so it was good fun well talking of Steve Mason what uh, you think we'd practice this it's a good into because I want to talk to you about songs in the key of five yeah the book that you wrote um last year it came out is that right um, it came out the end of August, beginning of September, 2013. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's a book about. Well, it kind of focuses on the Beta Band, um, Kinkreso, Katie Tunstall, Friends Collective, but. Called songs in the key of five. Um, explain a bit more about it, if you would. Well, I'll just quickly t- tell you about the title, which I thought I'd come out with, which I clearly hadn't. Uh, <laughs> I just thought it was the it was the best name for the book that I'd kind of written yeah. or I was writing, and basically it was a process of osmosis. I think I absorbed it from. The Aliens MySpace page, um, if anyone remembers MySpace, you, you could put a little header at the top of your, your page and they had songs in the key of Fife. Yeah. Uh, and it, it transpires that there's a couple of Fife songwriters and so on have put out albums called Songs in the Key of Fife. <laughs> Um, I'm sure we all owe Stevie Wonder some royalties, so, but definitely some royalties. He, he's, yeah. he's, he's not getting any. He can live without it, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, basically, um, I was. This this is the kind of thing that I'll say when I when I'm doing a, a book event, which mm-hmm. I've been doing various festivals and live events and so on with music and chat and readings and so on. Um, but I was sort of approaching forty. I've been doing BBC work for a long time and journalistic stuff for a long time for various newspapers and magazines and stuff. Um, and I'd had a really horrible breakup with a girl, a relationship that lasted over seven years. Right. And I just decided I wanted to write and yeah. do something weighty and long form and, and really put something out there. I wanted something I could be proud of. And a friend of mine works for the well it was the Scottish Arts Council and then Creative Scotland yeah. and the Literary Department and I met with him and I said how do, how do you write you know not how do you write a book but how do you get published and, yeah. and it transpires it's quite similar to being in a band it you, is yeah, yeah. you know you, you you need an agent the agent then puts you in touch with a publisher you know you need to sign a deal etc etc so I met with an agent and I he said you know what are your ideas and I had a chunk of different ideas like a few pages worth of potential ideas but top of the list was this book because I grew up in Fife I was born abroad but I grew up in Fife in East Newk near St Andrews and I was in bands with and I'm friends with everyone that's in the book yeah. to a greater or lesser degree yeah. some people are very close friends some just acquaintances some I, I know purely through music um, and basically, he went through my ideas. I hit it off with the agent, by the way, and he said, yes, I'll represent you. So that was, I was off to a good start there. And then he went, this is your first book, this one here. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I went, really? Do you think anyone will be interested? He said, it's niche, but it's, it's something that you are completely connected to. You, you'll be able to get anecdotes and insights that no one else will because you know the people. Yeah. And I think you should give it a shot. So um, 
he then said, will you write the back of the book? You know, you write the back of the book? Yeah, okay, right. write the back of the book. Okay. Um, which, if there are any budding authors out there, which I'm sure there are yeah. listening at the moment, do that. When you're thinking of your pitch, um, you know, you obviously need your concept, you need possibly your title. I had a different title actually, yeah. it wasn't Songs in the Key of Fife to begin with. Uh, but So we had the title, the concept, and then I wrote the back of the book. It's slightly different now, but it's pretty much the same as what you see on the back of the book. That was that was my pitch. Yeah. Um, a publisher then, a couple of publishers then said to me, we're interested, and, and then he said, do us a chapter breakdown. And so I did. Um, and the chapter breakdown is very similar to the way that the book is. So it was almost as I was pitching the idea, um, I was structuring the book yeah. in my own head. And, and it, it really sort of quite simply came together that way. I added a few chapters as I was writing it. Um, and that chapter breakdown and that pitch and that whole you know, crystallising the idea before writing it was key to writing it. Yeah, that, what, when I read it, um, what surprised me, I don't know why, but is how central you are to this movement. You know, you have been right from the beginning, as you say, you knew the Andersons and then got to know everyone else involved. So, I mean, how did you view this burgeoning scene, um, and very incredibly influential scene, from being in the middle of it? Um, well, you don't think of it as a scene, and yeah. it's almost like looking back on it, you realise it's a, it's a scene or a, a connecting number of scenes, if you like, which is now being seen as one scene. Yes. Uh, <laughs> let's say scene a few more times, shall we? Um, I mean, for example, just to clarify that, Steve Mason is quite adamant that he is not in the Fence Collective, and yeah. he is not connected to the Fence Collective. Yes. Uh, and initially wasn't that in, into being in, in the, the book, book at all. Right. Uh, but I've eventually said, look, you're from St Andrews, you've played in bands with almost everyone in the book. If not, you've produced records. You've, you, he's been in bands with Gordon, he's been in bands with um, Ian, um, obviously John McLean. You know, he's produced records for King Creosote. I mean, it just it goes on and on and yeah. on. He's been in bands with James Yorkson when they were at school. And I mean, so I suppose I didn't really think of it as a scene until I came to writing the, the yeah. book. Obviously, Fence, when you say collective, then it immediately makes... Yeah, people have actually think, well, okay, this is something that just grown up deliberately rather than maybe come together yeah. organically. Isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I didn't think of myself as particularly central to it at all. I just happened to grow up in Fife and play in bands with these guys, and if I didn't actually play in bands with them, then I would meet them out and about, getting pissed, watching their bands, you know, talking nonsense, the usual usual thing. What I thought was fascinating was the fact that we were all roughly of an age, mm -hmm. Kate Tunstall's younger, but um, not—I mean, not that much younger yeah. now. If you, you know, if you think about it, I mean, whatever she'll be, late thirty, mid late thirties now, yeah. and the rest of us are early forties, mid forties, yeah. whatever. And um, yeah, it, it was of an, we were all of an age group. We we're all basically from the East Nuke, and I just thought, I love all the music. I love all the people involved. Why hasn't someone really written about this in depth? There have been some great newspaper articles, magazines, um, but no one's really sort of put it all together. So that's why I felt I had to do it. And I thought I was, as a, as my agent said, he said you're set, you're central to it, or you know all these people, you'll be able to do something. And before I wrote it, I contacted every single person involved, all the, the main character, the main characters, yeah. if you like, and said, "Are you interested in being?" associated with this book giving me the, the interviews that I need everyone was like a resounding yes except for Steve who then eventually said yes yeah. and then gave me an eight hour interview <laughs> <laughs> obviously very persuasive um, they, I did have a gun <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean you say we didn't look upon it as a scene but for so many influential artists to come from such a small area and it is and yeah. you know Rightly or wrongly, we think of Central Belt as producing, you know, the, the most influential bands, with obvious exceptions. But here you've got people. I was thinking about this in the train in, thinking um, the Beat a Band at the Badlands was probably one of the best gigs I was ever at. Phenomenal. James Yorkson albums are some of my favourite albums. King Creosote albums. I mean, it, it's hugely influential and in very different ways as well. I mean, very different bands. But 
there must have been some sense of something special happening even quite early on, or did you genuinely didn't feel that that was the case? I, I suppose, you know, when the pizza band became successful, I mean, they'll probably look back and think that they weren't as successful as other people think. I mean, for example... Or as they should be, which is yeah. quite clear in the book. Yeah, you know. I mean, they, sh they, should, they should have crossed over a lot more than they did, although there are huge cult acts still mm. in this in the UK and I think across Europe and definitely in the States yeah. as well. But I think when, when you know, Stephen Mason, who I played Star Wars figures with and um, was in Adam and the Ants with and all that sort of stuff, when I saw him on the front cover of the NME... Yeah. And when you saw their videos, when you went to see them live and they'd have the homemade videos of them wrestling crocodiles or, or jumping on magic carpets or, like, you know, the skateboarding policeman, you know, all that sort of stuff. I just thought the humour, the Fife humour, and, and I mean, it's Scottish humour as well, yeah, but yeah, yeah. there was a slightly sort of self-deprecating, surrealist... Very Fife, surrealist, I think. Yeah, Fife humour came okay. through. And it's, it's still the same kinds of chat that I will have with James yeah. or Kenny or Steve or who, or whoever and they will have amongst themselves and when, when you saw that actually I mean I tell you I, I can't even remember if I put this in the book or not I'm sure I did but um, the, when the, the beat band were on the front cover of the enemy dressed as Mexican bandits it was it was around the the um, the second EP, or is it the third, third EP? Yeah. Uh, Los Amigos de Vita Banditos, right? And they were on the front cover with, like, sombreros and bandoleros, bullet belts and guns and yeah, stuff, yeah. and fake moustaches. Yeah, fake moustaches. I know. Did, did they have those? Yeah. I was just like, this is amazing. This is... So I suppose that was an epiphany. And then, you know, things started happening for me outside of making music. I, I, I got into the radio and, and started making a name for myself as a broadcaster. And at the same time, um, you know, James and Kenny were starting to get known for their music and then the offshoot bands and brothers and so on. Everyone started gathering momentum. Yeah. Uh, and then you started realising there was some kind of scene. And, yeah. and I was so grateful and I was so delighted for James and Kenny and Gordon uh, and, and Steve and yeah. John, obviously, as well, that they got some kind of recognition because they're all supremely talented people and again everyone just went and made their own fun you, you could find these kinds of scenes in Glasgow or Edinburgh Dundee or the Highlands and Highlands you know Inverness these kinds of scenes are all over the place but not all of them break through yeah um, so I was I think the, the beta band breaking through was, was was a real epiphany and I think it actually maybe helped fence as well it's interesting saying about a shared sense of humor and even I would imagine shared language that you know you see there's people understand each other almost immediately they can maybe have jokes at other people's expense which kind of brings it's about kind of bringing people together and I'm presuming small gigs in small places that you went to see each other's yeah we were talking before we turned the mic on about you know the influence of teenage fan club and there was when you take in the BMX bandits and other groups from the Coat Bridge which is a small area kind of slightly removed and yet, Bell band Hill after band, Bell Hill and Coatbridge, yeah. you know, they all kind of came through. And obviously, part of that must be because as soon as somebody does well, you know, record companies go, let's go check that out. But there seemed to be more than that happening here. And as well, I think everyone was doing completely different kind of music. Yeah. It wasn't like everyone tried to copy the beta band. They didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Really uh, they, they went off and did their own thing. And if you listen to Ken Creosote's music, if you listen to any of his incarnations over the years, like going back to the Scooby-Doo Orchestra, his first yeah. real band. Um, I mean, there were bands before that, but his first band that, that released records and went out and toured everywhere and so on. It's still Kenny. It's completely... You can totally identify the lyrics, the voice, the kind of singing. You know, he's a little bit more gruff in, in the Scooby-Doo Orchestra because he's young and yeah. he's, he's belting it out a bit more. But you, you can still hear the same the same tone of voice, the same accent, and, you know, I remember it was like, you know, no one sang in a Scottish accent, the Proclaimers, yeah. you know, it was really uncool, and people didn't like it necessarily, and Kenny was just, yeah, the right just people didn't, didn't like shit. it. <laughs> he just went and did it, yeah. and, um, and I think it, it was through, you know, Aidan Moffat, Arab Strap, Very and that, that, that singing in your own accent, like, became... 
accepted. Yeah. And and then I think via King Creasel and so on as well, and almost all Scottish bands now singing a Scottish accent. Not all of them, but yeah. all, almost all of them. Well, it was just it was a very Scottish, for want of a better word. I'm not even sure what I mean by that. Scene. That's what it seemed to me. The, the inf, there was influences. Yes, there was influence from America and from reggae and all, all sorts of things. But there was also folk music, which for a long time was, you know, the music that dare not speak its name. Yeah. Yet suddenly, James Johnson in particular, but also Plink uh, Career, as it were, were embracing yeah. this, this this music. Well, as, as is mentioned in the book, James claims that his, he doesn't really know where his, his folk influence came from, um, but he, he claims that he, well, he reckons it was going on holiday to Ireland and hearing folk music just around and about he said yeah. it, it wasn't in his family they didn't play folk music they didn't have folk music musicians round um, but he was because I've been in bands with him and I've known him all my life pretty much he was into punk and yeah. like crazy noisy uh, extreme music you know James was like into swans and nurse with wound and there's a great picture of you and I think is it James with people in the test tube baby's teeth <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's some great pictures in the book by the way right? yeah yeah, yeah. No, uh, uh, <laughs> and you look about 11 years old I will, <laughs> yeah I will I will be actually um, but yeah um, but he he just started getting sick of loud music and he went in search of acoustic music and he always liked uncompromising music and I think he heard Anne Briggs and Shirley Collins and these kind of a lot of English folk first and just the, the love of the acoustic guitar and then obviously being in Scotland once you start investigating folk yeah. music it's all around you you just have to look you just have to go to the pub on the corner of the street and you'll find a session Kenny on the other hand is the son of a folk musician yeah. and um, and it's in his DNA right. um, although Gordon and Ian's music isn't so folky it's it's more American influenced if you like and even Kenny's bluegrass stuff obviously yeah. but you can hear the Scottishness in, in Kenny's singing yeah. voice and even in his chord changes and his melodies and so many almost like laments and you know these soaring kind of it feels like it's in his DNA when yeah. you've got on his records you know you think yeah, yeah, this is this is historical. It's going back. I'm telling you, I'm not over-egging this either by saying this or being melodramatic. But when I played in a band with Kenny, and he, I realised what I, when people say, "Oh, he's a natural," or "She's a natural," I realised what that meant when yeah. I, when I played with uh, Kenny. Now he is a natural. That music just flows out of the guy. He can't stop himself. He can't stop performing. He can't stop writing. He can't stop singing. He loves making music. Also, he was the first guy that I ever saw or was ever in a band with that would sing a song and girls would fall at his feet. It was just like this. I would, I would sort of look at Kenny singing and I'd look at the girls and then I'd look at Kenny and then I'd look at the girls and I would just, you know. Yeah. I mean, Ken Kenny is a short bearded chap but his talent is a attractive <laughs> thing <laughs> the girl as soon as he opened his mouth sang a few words and a few melodies obviously the, those girls were in the palm of his hand you know and I think he, he's sort of realised that and, and I think the girls have definitely realised yeah. it and I know even female cousins of mine and so on are like they they love King Crazo. Yeah. They absolutely love those records, you know, and they're they're kind of in love with his voice. And well, he has got that absolutely. I can I can understand that myself. Yeah. Um, I think what the if we take Defence Collective as a collective, one of the things that they do was make it okay to like folk music again for a generation who didn't. Yeah, but I, I will say, and I will stick up for Steve Mason again here yeah. and just say that um, he has said to me that he's not a particular yeah. fan of folk music and he's not a, uh, he doesn't come from a Scottish folk background. And I think there's quite a lot of the other collective, Fence Collective bands that would say that as well. Yeah. Um, and, and often, like, if you're, if you're into acoustic music, it might be American acoustic. Of course rock music from the 60s and 70s that, that's turned you on. Yeah, it could be a Dylan trajectory rather. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and even Ian, uh, Kenny's brother, who's also known as Pip Dylan in, in a certain guise, he said that um, it was Simon and Garfunkel that turned him on to songwriting and so yeah. on. So he'd heard the folk music of his of, you know, his dad and his dad's friends and that hadn't really appealed that much but Simon and Garfunkel had, whereas Kenny, it had appealed to him. So anyway, sorry. No, but I, I, I understand I that, and I think it's, it shows, again, like a wide range of 
the music that was being played, that there were many people that have been influenced from different, you know, the beat of Anting, Steve Mason stuff, soul stuff as well, will have influenced, you know, a lot of people, particularly in this kind of embracing of the psychedelic. Yeah. You know, again, a musical movement that people really well, kind of went away from. There were a lot of, you know, not, not, you know, huge long albums with hardly any tracks on it, but he's... Yeah, the Pictish Trail, um, is yeah. a, 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 I mean, he appears like... Uh, Especially throughout the second half of the book, quite a lot, and there's there's a specific chapter um, dedicated to him, and he he basically says the the Beater Band were his Sex Pistols. They were his punk. You know, they they made him want to write songs, record songs, and and and, and if you get a band like the Beater Band being your sort of epiphany moment, then you know that you can go off in any direction because there is hip hop, there is punk, there is psychedelia. This it's just one big you know. Sort of melting pot of different ideas. I always think the first time I heard the records, but particularly seeing them live, remember watching going, this shouldn't work. This yeah. should fall down somewhere. And it kind of almost felt it was going to in the edges, but it was always held together, often by this, you know, drum loop that's going on underneath yeah. it that would just hold it all together. It was, it's an incredible thing to be doing, partly because they looked as though they didn't really know what they were doing, or at least didn't particularly I don't think care. they really did. I think, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that um, like, what they, they were making it up a lot of the yeah. time. Um, but that was part of the fun of it. Yeah. I mean, John McLean uh, never wanted to be in a band, or claims he never wanted to be in a band, never planned to be in a band, or anything like that. It was he's an artist, he's now a filmmaker, and he approached making music like making art. It was uh, the Beta Band was for him a collage, and and actually sort of ended up being a bit like that. It was he was into the idea, the, the sort of postmodernist ideas of, of of pulling together disparate elements of in this case music and putting them together to make something new as as he'd been studying and doing in visual art yeah. he started to try and do it in music and he was hugely influenced by the KLF as well yeah. um, and, and, and loved you know using sound uh, and, and sort of audio as well as musical notes yeah. so you'll always hear like sound effects in their records and samples he loved sampling Incredible, yeah. sampling to him was collage but with sound which I suppose it is yeah know. absolutely you mentioned uh, James Johnson's love of punk, and there does seem to be, again, a punk ethos. You know, a kind of let's just just do it, let's just put the show on right here type of thing. Yeah. I often argue with. I mean, I'm a huge fan of punk. I love the music as well, but I still argue with friends of mine who don't particularly love it. Doesn't really, the music kind of wasn't the point. It was the attitude behind it and what you could do and rather what you were suddenly not excluded from doing which had happened before and I get that feeling with nearly everyone involved that is a uniting thing yeah you go, right, yeah nothing's going to stop us doing this we're going to go and do it. I think you're right and and actually uh, as much as I love all kinds of punk music yeah. you know um, Ramones Pistols Clash Damned Buzzcocks Susan yeah. the Banshees yada 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 uh, some of the hardcore stuff in America I mean God, all sorts of stuff that is pigeonholed as punk yeah. to me punk attitude and real punk ethos if you like Aphex Twin or Square Pusher yeah. or what you know it can be completely different kind of sounding music but it's it's to do with questioning not accepting cliche and authority I mean almost when you've got a guy in a leather jacket and a green Mohican going oi 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 you know that is that punk or is that just another have you become yeah. a sort of cliche so I think Everyone in in my book and and in this, you know, if you want to call it loosely a scene, I mean, Kenny's not influenced by punk. He, mm. I mean, he heard it and enjoyed yeah. some of it, didn't enjoy some of it. But I think he's definitely got the attitude. That's right, yeah. Um, Steve Mason was influenced by the music itself, as was mm. James. You know, a lot of the other people in this in the book weren't at all influenced musically, but it was certainly a DIY attitude. And I mean, you know, punk. Well, I think that's maybe why hip hop as well was so yeah. interesting to a lot of the guys because yeah. it had the same feel to yeah, it. Yeah, it's an attitude which, uh, and it keeps getting brought brought back, if you like, in terms of when you're describing things, punk ethos, a punk attitude. It's like, oh, come off it, punk's like forty odd years yeah. old now. But it, it's it's because it's it's about kind of trying to be modern, I think, and yeah. pushing forward and not accepting, you know, the the hoary old. You know, cliches. Well, that was the thing. It was deliberately modern and completely different, and it lasted for a very short time. The real explosion of what we're talking about. And if you look at it now, if you look at the people from the 19, 
you know, actually from 1977, because it didn't change much apart from London, uh, and see what they were like, and then see what these punks looked like. It was like they come from another planet. Yeah. Uh, but it was all about the attitude. Al- almost, uh, like, you know, post-punk is really um, sort of influential and talked about in, in reverent sort of tones nowadays, and that's almost in a way more important it was the aftermath of the initial punk explosion that, that people went out if you and did their own thing if you read um, Simon Reynolds book Rip It Up and yeah, Start Again fantastic. well all the diff- how many chapters are in it and it's, it's like all of those scenes were going on so you've got like goth you've got two-tone you've got hip-hop you've got techno you've got um, the, the tribal bow wow wow Adam and the Ants yeah. thing you've got you know, industrial music all of these things were Going on simultaneously, you know the pop group Rick, Rick and Panic, um, you know Nena Cherry, all, all, yeah, all yeah, that yeah, sort. Yeah, that was all, all, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was all happening as well. And but they were all going on at the same time. Yeah. That's what blows my mind yeah. is that all of that great music was happening uh, at the same time, and that was as a direct consequence of punk. So I think you know when when people talk about the punk attitude. The ethos it re- reaches way beyond you know oi 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 yeah, the spiky yeah, haircut absolutely. and I'm on the dowel and oh, I don't you can care. T- still getting the picture taken out. St- having said that, I still think like the Mohican when you see a, someone with a pink Mohican <laughs> or something, it's like it is the ultimate statement. Yeah, and it's still the most uncompromising like haircut or fashion statement you could ever have. But yeah, I think I think it, it definitely pervades and sort of permeates uh, the, the the book and these people people's lives you know and and just kind of, sometimes because you're not getting a help from the mainstream yeah it's almost like it's a reaction to it. well none of these guys care what we do so fuck them let's go and do what we i don't know if we're allowed to start yeah, of course you can go, yeah, hey. we have an explicit rating on our thing you know, right. well you know um, you might as well use go, it yeah exactly <laughs> good it's not well, it's not the bbc i can say the effort uh yeah um yeah i think you know it's 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 definitely, you know, permeates that book, yeah, and the attitude. What's very interesting is there's lots of examples of people almost not deliberately sabotaging themselves, but sabotaging themselves. And you know, go down to London thinking we're going to have a big break and then ended up, you know, missing meetings and for whatever, lots of interesting reasons. Um, it, it does seem that there's this... Not make it up as you go along, because that's unfair and it's kind of almost stereotyping. But again, going back to BMX Bandits and Teenage Fan Club, like, this idea that we know what we want to do and we're not going to, you know, dilute it for anyone here. Well, I think, you know, in, in this ever-competitive world, uh, a lot of modern musicians and artists are very career orientated and they they really want to do the right thing and they and they really want to sign with the right company and and you know do make all the right moves in order to become stars and to make loads of money right now i think that's always been the case but as a general rule it's not you know exclusive but as a general rule artists real really good artists aren't don't think in those ways and i think you know the people in in this book, the Beta Band guys, Defence Collective guys, you know, King Cruise at James Yorkson, Kate Dunstall, um, Pictures Trail. They're they're all, you know, trying to make music for the sake of music. They're artists, and so doing the right move career-wise was not necessarily on the agenda and if they were in a bad mood or someone was pissing them off or it was like you know they were hungover yeah yeah then 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 that's what happened you know um so yeah i think i think that's why there was some self-sabotage or just yeah I think that probably is what separates the bands we were talking about in the mid-80s that perhaps we didn't like so much, which we won't name, but, um, you know, that, that, that thing about maybe being more career-driven than just doing it for because you really yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't like to point my fingers. It's not my business to no. uh, slag other bands off or other scenes off or anything, but um, as a general rule, I don't like music which is, or any art which is manufactured for a marketplace. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter from what any era yeah. actually sometimes you, well, I, sometimes you can yeah, sometimes yeah, I hear yeah, yeah. 50s and 60s like manufactured yeah. pop and I love it but as a general rule I don't like stuff which is made from a marketplace I like stuff which has come out of yeah. someone's 
soul man. And the manufactured stuff from the 60s come back to things like the Brill Building and that. Yes, it was manufactured, but it was like, you know, a room of folk in one. It wasn't, you know. But they were also doing it for the first time ever. Yeah, as well. exactly. They so it was kind of like. It's. It's it's when you sort of have an algorithm to write a pop song or a, or to, to yeah. make a film or you make need a, a spreadsheet to, to see what works. Yeah, out yeah, and I'm I'm just I'm sick and tired of that, and I don't think, um, you know, it's ever going to make television better or the music business better or the film industry better or anything. Just judging statistics and wondering what does the marketplace think, you know, yeah. it's like. Fuck the marketplace, make good art. Yeah, and you think that now that the marketplace is kind of lessening, actually, there's more chance of good music coming through, good, or good music, you know, as you I said, independent minded so. music coming through again. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, someone said this, well, I was talking to someone the other day about this, and it's almost like, in a way, it feels like there's going to be two industries at some point. The entertainment industry and the music industry, yeah. and uh, there will be a small crossover. But as a general rule, you'll have your X Factors, your, you know, Britain's Got Talent, whatever these talent shows, and the real uber pop and um, high echelons of music, which is ultimately entertainment. You know, yeah. and then you will have the struggling artist, which you know, making music. And uh, do you know what? I know which camp I'm more Absolutely, happy yeah. to, to, to document, to talk about, to be involved in. Um, I've never, and I don't think anyone in that book, as I say, or, or anyone that I respect, has ever gone into music to make money. They've yeah. gone in to make music, and obviously they've dedicated so much of their time and life and energy and, you know, hard work into doing it. They do kind of want to get rewarded. They'd yeah. like to earn a Absolutely, living out of yes. it. But it's not about becoming a millionaire, it's about, you know... Yeah, God, all this stuff, when you start talking about it, it just sounds like a total cliché, but it's it's true. Yeah. And I, and I do think that there's a, a widening sort of divide between what is mainstream and entertainment and what is any good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you spoke briefly about um, Song by Toad, and there are now some fantastic small record companies like Olive Grove or... Uh, Flowers in the dustbin who really are just throwing all of the energy into the bands that they love, and it's fantastic. Yeah. And and through other ways finding audiences, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, and I think Fence, as a record label, must have had a, an influence on that. Yeah. Um. Um. Absolutely. The thing was, um, as Kenny King Grizzle so, you know, articulately says, I mean, he, he basically explains that they, they wanted an anti-record label. Yeah. They weren't trying to be, you know, Fife's EMI. answer to EMI or whatever, <laughs> as you say. They wanted, you know, to do something their own on their own terms, their own way, and not to even, you know, attempt to do it anyone else's way. I think that is inspiring. So I think a lot of these labels you mentioned, Song by Toad, uh, Olive Grove, Flowers in the Dustbin, mm. all good examples. Um, and previously, Chemical Underground, yeah, and then, of course. Who, who is still obviously fighting the good fight. I mean, they'll have been an influence as well. But as will Domino, 4AD, Mute, all, all of the trade, yeah, yeah, Rough Trade, etc., etc. All these great labels based down south and so on. But I think Fence was good in that they didn't even do it the way that 4AD Mute Domino would do it. They completely went against the grain, and I think that's inspiring. And it just shows you that you can record music yourself, you can put it out yourself, you can do it as DIY as you like, and still have some kind of influence and success. And not massively financially, but although Kenny and James and, and Gordon, I'm sure, all earn a, a living out of what they do, um, uh, less so Ian probably, um, and the beta band guys will as well. Mm -hmm. But it's, as I say, it's not really been about making money it's no. been about making art and, and trying to survive doing it so fence is a great role model for that do it your own way don't care about what anyone else thinks and and just be self-sustainable and survive so in terms of the current music scene obviously you're you know front and center and that putting bands on what how do you think it's how do you think it is at the moment i think it's a, a, as do you think there is a thing of kind of peaks and troughs, or is it kind of always something interesting happening? Because you've been on the radio, if you don't mind me saying, for a while now. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 15 years this wow, year. fantastic. Um, yeah, um, 
there are peaks and troughs when it comes to successes. Yeah. You know, um, Franz Ferdinand, yeah. they're the most successful band, or, you know, Frightened Rabbit, or King Crizo, or the yeah. Fratellis, or Milo, or Calvin Harris, or, yeah. in fact, when you start listing them, they're, like, successes almost every five minutes. Yeah. At the moment, you know, if, in terms of Scotland, we've got, well, Frightened Rabbit are doing extremely well for themselves. You've also got Churches, probably yeah. the hottest band in the world, mm-hmm. a trio from Glasgow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, that's amazing. And uh, dare I say that the next hottest band, uh, certainly the most one of the most talked about bands in the world, Young Fathers yep. from Leith, where we are right yeah. now, which is quite nice. Um, but, you know, so there are peaks and troughs when it comes to successes, I think, and... Um, and and people breaking into the mainstream or the, the more international um, consciousness, but there's never sort of troughs when it comes to the quality of art, certainly what I look for and find. I remember when I first went on Radio 1, when um, we would get, you know, which is 15 years ago, 1999, we'd get sent tons and tons and tons of Scottish stuff. Yeah. And some of it was bad but most well a lot of it was good yeah and we always had more than we needed to play like we couldn't get through it all yeah just in the, the time slots that we were allocated um fast forward 15 years there's more good stuff now there's yeah. still a lot of shite i'm not yeah. going to pretend yeah. and there's still a lot of you know people out there who perhaps should play in covers bands or do something slightly different or whatever maybe not artists in the same way that some other people are but there is a huge amount of brilliant music being made in Scotland across genres as well. I mean, I've just mentioned churches and young fathers. I mean, electronic music and ultimately hip hop. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, you know, with Biffy Clyro, rock music, I mean, the, you know, heavy rock music. Yeah. These these are genres that perhaps Scotland hasn't been that well known for yeah. in the past. Been a long uh, time since Gun. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and so, you know, to, to you know, to show the world that, that we're we're that good in across genres, it's it's just brilliant. The hottest DJs in the world, Optimo. Yeah. Yeah. Oh certainly some, two of the greatest tastemakers in the world, some of the best singer-songwriters, whether it be Katie Tunstall or Paolo Nettini or Amy McDonald, you know, uh, the best indie bands in the world, you know, Bell and Sebastian, Franz Ferdinand, you know, Mogwai, yeah. Ghost Rock, you know, I mean, it's like we lead the world. If you start going through it and with a, you know, you realise, oh my God, yeah. Scotland really leads. But I don't think there's any lack of, of, of the next wave yeah. whenever I sort of think oh, who's going to break through someone always does yeah. I just wish I had more airtime to showcase it and I, I wish there was a bit more support from um, mainstream culture I mean uh, people, are, people tend to go to the shopping mall and they tend to watch The X Factor or Strictly Come Dancing they tend to eat in fast food restaurants and they tend to, you know I'm talking very generally yeah, here um, and I just wish that perhaps uh, the man on the street got behind it a little bit more I and mean, it's great that there are blogs and podcasts and we radio shows like mine and news, you know, broadsheet newspapers but it would be it'd be nice to to see the mainstream embrace it a bit more yeah. but then I've always railed against the mainstream since I was a kid so if, if the mainstream did embrace it I'd probably go and search for something else you know well there did used to be you know, fantastic arts programs that be on late at night, usually with Janice Forsyth running them. But you would you would get to hear some fantastic bands playing and, and people talking about some and you know new theatre that was on. And I do think that's missing, unfortunately. I, think I would love to see. I would, I would love to see a show like that, and obviously I'd love to present it. Yeah. But I mean, um, that, that take me out of the equation. I mean, I'd love to see something like that happen. I mean. Uh, the closest we've got in terms of a new band show at the moment is like Rapple, the the BBC Alba show. Yeah. I've done two series of that. They've you know asked me to be involved. I don't speak Gaelic, but I learned some Gaelic to do it. And I'll, we're doing another series, and I'll learn some more to 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 help them out. But it's basically one of the only platforms to get new Scottish bands on the telly. Yeah, and you come across it by mistake. I remember going through the channels and going, hang on a minute. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a shame. I'd, I wish, you know, BBC Scotland or ITV or whoever would would get behind a, a proper, you know, arts and, and especially music programme. I think we've, we've never had a stronger scene. And heritage as well, going back yeah. 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you know. 
Well, let's go back and uh, you mentioned the Proclaimers as being the kind of first, same for me, a kind of pop band who sang in their own accents. I can't really remember it before that. In fact, I remember it being quite shocking seeing Letter from America go, what the hell is this? Yeah. And then actually I think listening to cringed. this. They did, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And then listening to this in the story and go, wow, this is amazing. Uh-huh. But you really had to get the whole thing rather than this one little thing. What was the first album or band that you could think, yeah, that really, I can relate to that, not just because of the music, but because of where they're from. What do you mean, Scottish yeah, band? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if I was that aware of it until probably Jesus and Mary Chain. Yeah. The, uh, but the fact was that, like, James James and I, James mm-hmm. Yorkston and I, were best buddies and we got into everything together, like, growing up in King's Barns in the East Nuka Fife. And it was Adam and Ants, and then we branched out and it was Madness and, you know, whatever. Other, some, some other kind of new wave and, and kind of pop at the time and then it was punk and once you're into punk as we've kind of explained earlier already it's like the doors have blown off the hinges and you get into reggae and you get into hip hop and you get into goth and you get into indie and well, what was becoming yeah. and, and I suppose we used to like basically make loads of noise and uh, like in, he had a room above his garage his family did and we used to I think I got an amplifier and a guitar and it was about 11 or 12 or whatever and he was the same and we just used to make a racket literally feedback <laughs> and, and, and record it and call it Jesus and Mary Chain uh, it, was, it was like it didn't have any songs or yeah. chords or anything it was <laughs> this is what we want to do yeah, yeah. And, and, and then you know and realising they were from East Kilbride that's like that's I know and the shop assistants as well I've um I've got the 12-inch single of I Don't Want to Be Friends With You, um, you know, so, and, and I almost had, a, almost had a sort of Scottish accent in that. Yeah. And, and it's funny, like, if you listen back to uh, Alex Harvey's singles yeah. for Decca and stuff before Sensational Alex Harvey Band, um, you can detect a little Scottish accent. I think he's trying to hide it, but you can't quite... You know. There are bits, even in the later stuff in the Sensational Alex Harvey Band, you know, he's trying to go American, but there are still twangs and they yeah. have yeah, oh yeah, definitely. I was uh, the same with the, uh, where I'm from, it's quite near Tesco Bride, and to know that the Jesus and Mary chain were up the road, it's yeah. like, wow, yeah, this yeah. can be done yeah, here. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah exactly. Just, and it, Mary Chain and Cocteau Twins were my t- two big Scottish bands as a, a, as a teenager, yeah. or a, like, you know, even, even pre-teens with a t- uh, Mary Chain. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, no, probably Psycho Candy, what's that, 84, 85? Yeah, I think so. Um, so I would have been 12, 13, yeah, when I heard that. So, yeah, I was, yeah. And then and Cocktail Twins, still one of my favourite bands of all time. I mean, I still go back to them. Yeah. In fact, I've just introduced uh, a lady friend to the Cocktail Twins. She'd never heard them before. And wow. total epiphany, and she's a musician and um, and so singer and so on. Yeah, and to hear Liz yeah. Fraser's voice and yeah. just go, oh, my God, you know. So, What's so she singing? It doesn't matter. Just yeah, listen to the yeah. voice. Um, Grangemouth created that. I think it's really, I kind of bang on about this, but I don't think it's really important that you do hear or, or see art or read books from near or where you're from because it kind of says, well, I'm not living separately to this stuff that I listen to or watch. I'm, I'm actually in it and I can do that. And, and to go back to the book, that's exactly what the book does. It kind of says, all of these people, very individual, all influenced by very different things, but what unites them all is this thought that, yeah, we're going to go out and we're going to make music. Well, I'm paraphrasing here, but I got, I mean, I've had quite a few um, reviews and most of them have been pretty positive. A couple of sniffy comments here and there and so on, but uh, which, you know, you put something out into the world, you've got to take it on the chin. But I can't remember who it was. Someone said, this book should be a guide to young musicians. I'm paraphrasing it. I didn't say exactly. You know, every young musician should read this book to to use it as a guide of what you can and can't do in the music and what you should and shouldn't do. And I, I was, re- I was really chuffed. I hadn't even thought of it like that. Yeah. And so. I think, yeah, absolutely. So, the fact that it maybe shows that small areas of the UK and Scotland, in this case, and the East Nuke of Fife, in this case, can create globally important art is really important for people, not just from the East Nuke of Fife, but from anywhere, yeah. a small community. Uh, and then if it hopefully in an entertaining way, can inform people what they could 
and couldn't do, should and shouldn't do, well, even better. So um, if, if this feeds into Scottish music culture, I mean, obviously the music has done already, but if my book feeds into that, then I'm delighted. You know, I mean, look, just having a book out was just like, <laughs> I know, but whenever I do a, like a book event, uh, that's usually what I do. I just stand there when I come out and just go, I wrote a book and hold the book up. <laughs> Thank I wrote you a very book. much. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, that's still kind of amazing me, just the fact that I, I did it. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that people are reading it and enjoying it and liking it, well, I'm, I'm delighted. And, and hopefully, yeah, it, 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 it really connects with people and shows them that they don't have to just be in London or yeah. New York or, or even Glasgow for that matter if we're, if we're talking more decentralising music scenes that, that the possibility of being able to make something good and important and influential and anywhere yeah live in the sticks well I'm pleased to say I like it when I can do this that you know I like it because I wrote my review before I met you yeah so yeah. I did it's a fantastic book I really recommend it highly thank you thank you I really appreciate it um, I'm going to finish we do these five questions oh right okay I should have told you right? they're very simple you can ask them how you like but we kind of ask everyone that comes on um, you may have already dealt with some of them first one is favourite band oh I, I can't do that. Yes. <laughs> yes, you My can. favourite band. Yeah. Yeah. I think you might have mentioned them already, but... Uh. Um, favourite band. I, look, I'm, I tell you what, I'm going to go for the first band I saw live and a band that I saw in December 2013 and um, hugely important to me personally laughed at by some other people but they're wrong they made some brilliant records their first album is an absolute stone cold classic and I went to that first gig age 12 years old 1985 Edinburgh Playhouse 1st of June The Damned there you go fantastic see that's what we want I know, but like people who really know me will know that, that, that you know I've got a soft spot for the damn. I can't. I mean, the Beatles are probably my favourite band, to be yeah. honest. The band that I get the most nourishment from, or the little yeah. Beach Boys, perhaps, or possibly the Cocteau Twins. It's how you de- how you define favourite. I you know. Have you got that minute? I think soft no spot. It will have to be the damned. I'll go for that. I w- there is nothing damn, better damn, for damn. me in music uh, than the first uh, first opening bars of new roads, you know, that yeah. for me is just, wow, that is music, one, two, three, four, and you're in. Do you know what, the, the secret goldfish, Douglas McIntyre yeah. from Creeping Ben, um, they're, they're, they've, they've just recorded a new album and they've just done me a, a radio jingle and they sent it to me and I had a listen today and um, it's set to a few bars of Orange Juice's Moscow, mm-hmm. um, like they've been talking to James Kirk and uh, Vic Goddard about it and so on and so on, and so they, they did a jingle with, and the opening line apart from Vic Galloway but they, yeah. they went he likes new rose <laughs> he's on the radio uh, and, 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 and I'm like you know that's I, one one band United Fruit I don't know if you know them no, no, noisy band from Glasgow excellent right. band really okay. good uh, when they came in we always asked the bands to do a cover and, and they covered new rose for me uh, so I was like it was, I was well enough <laughs> uh, and I kind of know the damn now like Captain Sensible um, emails me occasionally so um, wow. I'm going to I think I'm going to go to he's like it's the captain's birthday the Eight, captain yeah <laughs> April the 24th uh, the, the, there's the forum in London so um, which used to be Town and Country Club yeah and it's the damned are playing um, Johnny Moped the Ruts wow um Eddie Tudor Pole and TV yeah. Smith and it's the captain's birthday party and I think he's 60 so I might have to go down to that, that sounds like a bit I'll be the youngest guy in the room yeah yeah that's right yeah 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 absolutely um, I don't know if you're a movie man but your favourite film oh that's a tricky one as well yeah um, Blue Velvet I'll go for yeah um, it's it's, it's up there with Down By Law. Blue Velvet, David Lynch. I'm a huge David Lynch yeah. fan, right? I absolutely adore almost everything that he does. Um, I'm a huge Jim Jarmusch fan, fan, so Down By Law is up there as well. And um, Buffalo 66 um, yeah, is course. one of my favourites as well, which yeah. is uh, Vincent, Vincent Gallo. Gallo, yeah. Uh, 
and it's not because his name sounds a wee bit like Vic Galloway. Yeah, no. Uh, so they're probably top three. Um, I mean, God, there's so many. But I'm going to go for Blue Velvet. Classic. Excellent, excellent choice. A book. What's the what book do you? God, these are really tough. Well, that's, you know, it's um, just to get reactions like that one out of people, basically. Um, I am a huge fan of... Can I go for an author instead yes, of one book? Yes, of course book? you can. Of course you can do whatever you like. Really, okay. And well, my, my favourite author, pretty much, is J.G. Ballard, who, okay. who he only passed away a few years ago. That's right, yeah. And um, he put out a huge body of work. Uh, and a lot of the books are quite similar. He, ha- he was on a mission to prove a point. Um, but I'm, I'm reading one of his right now I haven't read all of his books but I'm slowly getting through them all I'm reading one called Hello America at the moment which is astonishing so far Uh, but I thought some of his his last few books um, um, Cocaine Nights Super Can Millennium People and Kingdom Come they're in a way as I was saying kind of like the same book each time but up there, um, he sort of almost crystallised what he was trying to do and, and perfected it. They're almost like airport books, page turners, you know, paperbacks that you can whiz through, but with some of the most mind blowing, subversive concepts and imagination in there. I just, I just think he takes reality and turns it upside down. He, he's, he's a phenomenal visionary writer in the same way that Orwell and Huxley. Um, and maybe Kurt Vonnegut and yeah. various other people. Yeah. I like, I love all of those guys. He certainly belongs in that company, yeah. definitely. So I would say J.G. Ballard and yeah, yeah. any cool. like any of those books. This might be the hardest question of all. I don't know. It, who at the moment um, would you recommend to us that is going to be not the next big thing? So I don't like that term, the next big thing. But who would you recommend if they were playing, you know, locally tonight that we should go out and see? Um, and you can make as many as you like. Oh uh, right, well, um, I'll, I'll first off I'll say Young Fathers because yeah. I think the the album's just come out. Um, their their first official album, Dead. Um, they put two sort of mini albums out last year, Tape One and Tape Two. And actually, in a previous incarnation, well, it was the same band, but when they they, they had a slightly different sound, uh, they did another record called The Guide, and I must be one of the only people who's got that. <laughs> Um, but but yes, I think Young Fathers are like I think the album is really forward-thinking, visionary, and, and sort of um, odd. Yeah. Uh, and, and kind of pushing the boundaries. Um, it's very dark. Right? It's dark. It's not perfect. And I think you're gonna. They're awesome live mm. as well. And um, I just think millions of ideas. I'm always looking for people who who try and and they push the envelope and they they, they just try to do something different and they try to like. Forge forward, and I think that they're doing that. Um, so they, they'd be top of the list just now. Yeah. Um, it's it's continually changing, obviously. Yeah, um, they they have a, a someone that, that, that supports them on on tour and is a good friend of the band called Law. She was in session for my Radio Scotland show the other day, uh, so I think she's really good as well. Um, I really love casual sex. Yes. Who were madam? But it's true, I do. Uh, <laughs> I like casual sex. Glasgow bands. Um, Sam from um, Mother in the Addicts. Yep. Um, what else am I enjoying just now? I mean, this is a funny thing. When people put me on yeah, the spot, I know, I know. I, I do it every... If somebody was to do it to me, I'd go, yeah, I've listened to lots of stuff, but I can't think of the names right. Yeah, uh, I, I published. It's it's actually on the BBC Radio Scotland. Um, website, like on my pages of the BBC Radio Scotland website, it's like artists to watch in 2014 and there's a bunch in there okay. everything from Electronica there's an electronic producer from the Highlands and Islands called Kane, C-A-I-N he's really good um, there's Prides who are making big brassy 80s influenced pop music um, yeah, I think they've been getting a lot of love from blogs and so on and they could follow churches possibly yeah. they've got a real sort of tears for fears Kate Bush 80s Kate Bush okay. kind of feel to them um, uh, there's loads of like really cool garage bands coming out of Glasgow at the moment the Rosie Crucifixion I think are good Half Rickon so it's ha- Half Rickon so the word half and then Rickon uh, Half Rickon they're, they're really good um, the amazing Snakeheads I love them um, they're, you know, scuzzy rock and roll. Um, 
Ah, the list yeah. goes on. List I mean, it, go it, on, yeah. it goes on and on. And there's never any shortage of, of singer-songwriters either. Um, you How know, much so stuff do you get sent in? I'm interested. I mean, you just oh, I just get I get tons. I get absolute tons. And now everything's going more and more digital. Yeah. And it means it's easier to get your music to people like me. Yeah. I mean, there's the BBC uploader, which is very easy to, to get your stuff on. It also means that you can write a song in your pants record it in your pants upload it to the BBC uploader or people like me in your pants and and you know live your life in your pants and never actually do anything so you've got I've, you know you've got to be more discerning than ever I think nowadays it also means that there's more access for people to get your music to you so you will inevitably get more good stuff as yeah. well as more crap I'm always astonished by the quality of the stuff that I get sent to the site which will be tiny compared to you but I'm just I'm absolutely blown away that the majority of it I mean it's not a lie to say the majority of it is fantastic yeah well I, I'm you know I'm, I'm in a privileged position in that it's my job to, to, to go through it and listen to it all and I the worst part of my job is telling people I'm sorry I'm not going to play it or yeah, don't like yeah, it or yeah. I'm not really into it or it doesn't suit the show or whatever it is because it's heartbreaking I know what it's like I'm a, yep. I make music as well I don't want anyone to say yep. your stuff's shite yeah, you know and um, so that's the worst part of my job but um, I also think it's important to be able to be discerning you know I don't want to play everything yeah, or like everything or tell everyone that they're great all the time well you've got to keep credibility for people you know you've got to keep you've got to keep trying there are other DJs that will play like loads and they'll play anything yeah. basically and I, I'm just not going to do that yep. but it means offending someone occasionally but yeah the quality is as high if not higher than ever and yeah. Uh, um, yeah John Peel gave a statistic something ridiculous like this he says the amount of music that I get sent in one day or I think it's in one week I'd have to listen solidly 24 hours a day for a month to get through it yeah now somewhere that doesn't add up <laughs> I yeah I don't possibly get quite that much but um, I get a lot yeah something approaching that mm. so you know I could spend all every hour of every day listening to new music and I spend quite a lot of it doing yeah. doing that but um, you know I, I you have to eventually have something to eat or have a coffee. You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, not listen to new music, but yeah, tons basically. Final question, and then we will let you go. Um, what made you want to? What was the thing that made you want to do what you do? Be a, a broadcaster? Be a, play records on the radio? Yeah, do you know what? You're probably not going to like the answer, and any budding journalists or broadcasters or whatever probably won't like the answer either. But I, I, I never particularly planned to do this, or particularly wanted to do this, or aimed to do this. I very much fell into it. I was a musician uh, first and foremost, and I tried for almost all of my 20s certainly late teens into my 20s just to survive doing music alongside the people in my book Songs yeah. in the Key of Five and um, and I, I sort of I think mid 20s just had a little bit of a a sort of wobble and I thought you know th there's got to be more to life than playing music trying to be a yeah. rock and roller a punk rocker and um, I, I just started branching out and doing other things and I started working for little labels, I started doing PR for people, I started writing for fanzines, I started putting on club nights, I started DJing, I did lights and venues, basically anything involved in music. Um, and I've got this kind of broadcaster's voice, which I didn't even think about. Uh, and I articulate and sort of speak fairly clearly. So. It was a friend of mine sort of cajoled me into doing it, said, I think you'd be great on the radio. And I yeah. went, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to be a radio DJ. I'm an artist, man. <laughs> and um, and I, I kind of made a tape. And it got accepted. And then I got the job. And that was Radio 1. And it just kind of flew from there. And I realised in many ways it's the perfect job for me. See, when you listed all the other things, it's the perfect job. I, 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 yeah, speak clearly. I can talk bullshit as you can <laughs> as you can obviously uh, hear. I've been speaking for hours on your podcast, and um, 
you know, a, 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 a sort of nerdy love of music and the ability to string two words together, um, and also. I think I've inherited it, especially from my mum, this desire to champion the underdog and to stand by those who don't get a chance anywhere else. I grew up listening to John Peel, and I'm not trying to compare myself to him in any way, but I love the fact that he gave people a chance, and he went he went for it, and he played stuff that no one else would play, and I've always wanted to do that ever since I got the opportunity to start doing this. And it was like, it's about... You know, even as a teenager, I played the weird bands, you know, the bands that no one else liked yeah. or, or what, you know, I would, I'd go and search them out and now I get paid for it. So I'm delighted and, and hopefully I do, I do a good service, you, you know, I do, I, do, I do my best anyway. Um, well, we're going to leave it there. Thank you for coming and talking bullshit to us. Yeah, no, no problems. Anytime <laughs> you need some bullshit spoken, I'm here. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, a, a total pleasure. Um, thank you very much for inviting me and thanks for coming to Leith to, to chat to me. Thank you and we will be uh, back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. Mm-hmm.